is Mexico. Uh, all the church leaders that we support and help, uh, I, I was uh, sharing with them some things that we do, and I was also learning from them. And let me just tell you, when you get back from a, a, another country, uh, and, and this is really good for all of us to understand, is the United States, our world is not the world. There is a big, bold world out there, and a lot of things are going on, and it's, it's good for us to lean in. Uh, but the brothers and sisters that are down there, they send you their love. They're very grateful for the support that you, you provide. And I, I got to say that God is doing some really amazing things, some amazing hearts of people down there uh, that have uh, given their lives uh, for, for the poor and the needy, but also for the souls of people out there. So what we're talking about, and this all comes from this overhanging uh, idea of letters to the president, the, the, the backdrop for this is this website. And this is a website that, that's been up for a long time for kids that can't vote, because they're not old enough to vote, for them to write a letter to the next president saying what they want to see in their country. And as you see here, I got this uh, just this weekend, there's uh, 3,289 letters waiting to be sent to the next president, he or she, whoever it's going to be. They can't vote, but they're really letting, and that, that just kind of shows that there's young people all over the United States, you see a map of where these letters come from, they're concerned about where our nation's going, and that's really good. I think some of us in this room need to appreciate that because we've gotten cynical. You know, we're like, you know, who cares? Who cares uh, what happens? And, and you need to, at the very least, like Anthony talked about last week, you need to pray. You need, you need to pray for the upcoming uh, election that's coming up, not just for who's going to be president, but also for the, for the senators, the congressmen, Sacramento, even your local officials in your cities, right? There's a lot going on. But what we're going to talk about today is leadership. Leadership. Leadership is a big deal. Leadership is a big deal for me. Because my background, my family uh, escaped from Cuba in 1959 from a, a communist revolution where basically a new president, as he called himself, took power and said, everything is public property right now. You own nothing. All your house, your car, everything, everything that your families work for, it's no longer yours. We're taking it. And we can take your children if we want to because they need to serve in the army. So you can imagine what that environment must have been like. Uh, and a lot of times we take for granted the United States of America and we lose grasp of, you know, leadership. It's a big deal. Uh, you know, even talking to some of the brothers and sisters down there, uh, I, I spoke with the church leaders in, in uh, Caracas, Venezuela. Do you know that in Caracas, Venezuela right now, it, is, it was like off the hook chaos their country's in deep trouble, and it can all be traced back to leadership. You know, in so many other countries and situations, you know, uh, earlier this year, the president of Brazil, she, she was removed from her position as president because of corruption charges. And their country's in trouble, you know? There's just so many situations. Leadership is a big deal. But I don't want you and I to become like the, the you know, the media, you know how the media is? How they love to pick and point fingers at what's wrong with this candidate, what's wrong with this person, what's wrong with that person, and you and I become like that. And we shake our head, and I said, I can't believe 
this person, this leader, this situation, instead of asking the question, what about me? What about my leadership? As a husband, as a school teacher, as an employee, as a, as a you know, a child in my house, as a student body president, or whatever position that I'm in in life, you know, uh, vice president, uh, business manager, whatever it is. You know, and, and we need to push back from, you know, the news media being critical and start asking ourselves some questions about what about my leadership? And that's what we're going to talk about today uh, so that we, we can take a, a really good position before we cast any stones because we all live in glass houses. Not a good idea. But what really will bring about change in our country? It will come about by individuals deciding to be great leaders, no matter where you are, no matter what you do. Here's a great verse that I believe that one of the reasons why God has blessed this country for so many years, but it's in jeopardy. Psalm 33, verse 12, it says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. It's my conviction, may not be yours, but I believe this, God was blessed this country because of the foundation that it was built on. The foundation that this country was built on, believe it or not, if you know your history, is right here in this book. Our founding fathers believed in the Bible. They believed in Jesus Christ. And, you know, they, they separated church and state, but every one of them as individuals understood, I am accountable to God. And they feared God. And they realized that, as Anthony talked about so well last week, and I would just want to give a shout-out to Anthony. Thank you for doing a great job in kicking off the service last week and the series last week. But leadership is a stewardship. Leadership is a stewardship. And, and that's something that's really important. And, and I believe our country, and let's just let's ask each other, are we heading in a good direction based on this verse? Is God really God? You know, you go to a, you go to a, uh, a courtroom, and, and what do they used to do? Put, put, your, put your left hand on the Bible, okay, and, and, and repeat after me. Do you swear to tell the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth? I don't even know what they do now. Most people don't even believe in the Bible. In other words, who are they going to give an account to? Do they have to tell the truth? Even if they say, I swear to tell the truth. And I just want us to know we're, we're in trouble right now and as a country. And not just as a country, in our world. Because people don't fear God. And when you don't fear God, we're not blessed. In fact, the opposite can happen. Uh, you know, there can be a, 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 a consequence. So leadership is a big deal and it starts with us. And I believe church is really, really important because where else are you going to hear about things that we're going to talk about? Anthony hit this last week uh, as he talked about Nebuchadnezzar. And he had to learn the hard way, didn't he? Uh, had to eat grass for seven years. That'd be pretty rough, wouldn't it, guys? Okay? And I appreciate the vegetarian diet and all of that, but, you know, being out in the middle of a field, drenched in the dew, and, I mean, that's, that was a pretty intense story until, until, until he said, the Lord God is God and rules over the world and elevates and brings low 
everybody. So we're going to talk about leadership today. Are you ready? So before we get into uh, the topic, let's go ahead and start off with a word of prayer. And I really want to pray for your heart to be open, for all of our hearts to be open so we can learn how to be what God wants us to be as, as, as members and followers of Jesus. We love you, Father. Thank you. We ask you to please be with us right now and help us to hear your word. Let your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak to us today so we can turn in your direction. Heavenly Father, we want to ask you for our country. We want to ask you for our leaders. We want to ask you to elevate and turn them back to you. Elevate leaders that fear you, that respect your word and respect what is right. Father, please be with us now. Use me. Speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we're going to talk about Nehemiah. A few weeks ago, we talked about Nehemiah, and we're going to grab a, a section of, of his story a little later. Uh, what we talked about uh, a number of weeks ago last month was we talked about him and him building the wall. You remember the wall that we had up here, the little section of the wall about right to here? Remember that? For those of you who are here, if you weren't here, you can go back and watch it. But we're going to talk about Nehemiah. And before we get, jump in, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever, have you ever served with served under, worked for, been in a family under someone who you didn't respect? Yeah, you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> Maybe right now you're working for somebody who you don't respect. And there's a reason for that. And, and I would say probably the reason that you didn't respect that person is because what they said and what they did didn't line up. You know, you've all heard the phrase, uh, some parents kid around, do as I say, but don't do as I do. You want to create a great opportunity for disrespect? And the reason for that is there's, there's something in the middle of respect, and what it's called is, it's called, and we don't use it a lot, but it's called moral authority. Moral authority, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Moral authority is that when you back up and live what you preach, you know, and, 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 and in this country, so you guys know, in this country, the two groups of people that we basically expect there to be moral authority is religious leaders and politicians. We expect them to back up what they preach and teach and what they promise especially politicians. We expect their life to back up. Now, if it's a business leader, you go, ah, yeah, I understand. It's about the money. It's really about the money and how the company performs is what's really important. Or an athlete, you know, if their life and, and, and you know, how they live doesn't really back up, you know, a moral expectation, you go, ah, you know, but it's an athlete. It's how he performs on the field. But even then, we don't respect them as individuals. We may respect them as an athlete. We may respect them as a business leader, but we don't respect them as an individual. Politicians and ministers, religious leaders, the expectation is, hey, I expect you to live what you, you hold to. And that's just how our country is. And I think it's a good thing. What we're going to learn about Nehemiah is God used him and put it on his heart to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. 
And, and God opened incredible doors. Basically, the king who he worked for, he was one of his advisors, and his, his, his title, his position was cupbearer to the king. And what he would do is he was the wine taster and the food taster for the king. So he was always with the king at every moment. When he had breakfast, he was there. When he had lunch, when he had a snack, when he went to bed, and before he had his tea or whatever he had before he went to bed, Nehemiah was always there to test it. And so they would watch. He'd take a sip, he'd take a bite, and they'd watch for about an hour and say, okay. Okay? And because they knew that they had tasters before they ate, they usually didn't point and poison the food. Right? But because he was with the king, Artaxerxes, all the time, he became a trusted friend. And God put it on his heart, Nehemiah, I want you to go back and rebuild this city because my people are hurting And one thing in particular, Nehemiah, I want you to do is rebuild the wall. And so he goes before the king and asks for resources, lots of resources, money, uh, an entourage of people to go with him, to help him lead. And he asks the king, I want you to put me in a position of leadership. And so King Artaxerxes made him the governor of the city of Jerusalem. And so he shows up on the scene. Hi, guys. I'm your new governor, Governor Nehemiah, and I'm in charge. And who put me in charge? King Artaxerxes. Huge, huge deal. In 52 days, Nehemiah's leadership led them. In 52 days, they rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem. And to to this day, it's still one of the most amazing things that, that history's ever showed us about leadership. When a people come together and God blesses that leadership, amazing things can be happening. But as he rebuilt the wall, there were some other needs. It wasn't just the wall that it was in shambles. It was the people and their standards. The things that they were holding to, their moral standards. And so we're going to pick it up in chapter 5, and I want you to read with me. Uh, Chapter 5, it's going to be on the screen. And, and this is something about Nehemiah. Moral, moral authority builds respect, but immoral authority creates what? Resistance. And that's why you and I push back from somebody we don't respect. We push back from them. And that's why I think a lot of us have gotten cynical about the political system in our country. It doesn't have to do with Democrat or Republican or Libertarian. It doesn't have to do with that. It has to do with the people who are in office, their life, and what they say they stand for, and then what they do, they don't line up. And so what happens? You got resistance. You got resistance. And so we're going to see this great example of Nehemiah. You ready? Here we go. Chapter 5, verse 6. We're going to pick it up. This is Nehemiah telling the story. When I heard their outcry, talking about the people of Jerusalem, and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in a way, in my mind, and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. Let me explain to you what he's talking about. What had happened was they basically had these people come in, bankers, and allow the people to have loans so they could rebuild their farms, their houses, and get their livelihood back on track. 
But under Jewish law, under the Old Testament law, and you can read it for yourself, there was a a law by God that the Jewish people aren't allowed, it's not of God, to charge interest on a loan. Basically, you loan the money, you can't charge interest on it. Why did God want that? Because God wants a spirit between brotherhood. I want you to help each other, but not make money off of each other. This isn't about making money off of each other. Because you know what happens when you start making money off of each other? The interest rate goes up, doesn't it? And we know how that works. And that's what was happening. It wasn't just a little interest. And, and you know, if you and I get in financial trouble, we can declare what? Bankruptcy, right? These days you couldn't collect bankruptcy. They didn't, they didn't have bankruptcy in those days. Guess what they took? They took your farm. They took your stuff. And guess what they, when they ran out of stuff, guess what they took? Your children. I want you to imagine the bank showing up at your house and saying, parents of kids, showing up at your house and saying, hey, we know you can't pay the debt, so now we're going to take your kids. And your kids, your kids are going to be our slaves, our servants. They're going to work for us for free until you pay off the debt. And that was what was going on. Nehemiah came to rescue the people. He brought all these resources from King Artaxerxes, the Persian kingdom. He brought all these resources to buy the people back from the Gentiles. And as he's buying these people back into freedom, paying for their kids, paying for their land, paying for their houses so they can get their feet back on the ground and start making a living for themselves, be free. The own Jewish people, guess what they're doing on the other side? They're still running the system. It was kind of like a credit card system. I want you to imagine a bank. You're in a bad situation. The bank comes up to you and says, hey, because you're hurting, I'm going to give you a credit card. And that credit card is going to help you get your head above water. Right? You know, you can get your your livelihood going and pay the bills and, and get everything taken. But on the other side of it, you don't realize, but the interest rate is outrageous. There's no way you're going to be able to pay that back. Sound familiar? That's exactly what was happening. Nehemiah came to set the people free, and then you got this group of people, and the nobles and officials were running a loan scheme with the people And it was like this perpetual corruption that was happening. And he wasn't just very angry. He was furious. We read on. Verse 7. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, As far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they couldn't find, they, they could find nothing to say. You know, when people are quiet, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? You've you got no defense. You're in the wrong. And that's what happened with these guys. They kept quiet. So I continued, what you're doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers... And my men also are lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. See, the problem here is who were they focused on? Themselves. 
These guys were in a, in, in a business to make money for themselves. It wasn't about, hey, let's get Jerusalem back on its feet. Let's get everybody back on their feet. Let's get everybody prospering. Let's get everybody doing well, getting their livelihood so they can do and, and hard work and make a living. And they kept bringing everybody down. And then here's the, the amazing thing that Nehemiah says, give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you're charging them. 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. Now I want you to imagine, let's go to the banks and let's ask the banks to give us back all the money they've taken. You think they're going to go for it? Okay? Even if the president, him or her, starts in office, you banks, you give all that money back. You give the, the property back. You give everything and the interest that you charge. You give it all back. What do you think they do? They get a big group of lawyers and they say, heck no. We're not going to do that. And Nehemiah knows just like he's telling them. Okay, here, look. We will give it back. Awesome, sounds great, doesn't it? We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you have said. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and the officials take an oath to do what they'd said they'd promise. Now, why did they have to take an oath? When you have to take an oath, what's that say? Is your word really good? No. You got to take an oath. And you got to take it before God. See, no, you know, Nehemiah didn't trust these rascals. Because you're going to take an oath before God. And, and you're going to have to stand before God to give an answer about what you're about to do. We still do that now, you know. First day in office, the president stand for it's a great ceremony. What do they do? They take an oath. An oath? They're sworn in. And, you know, and didn't, didn't, didn't go there. Look at how, how intense Nehemiah is. Because on verse 13, I also shook out the folds. This is, a, this is kind of an Old Testament tradition at this time that they would do it. I shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way may God shake out their house and their possessions and anyone who does not keep this promise. So, many, so may such a person be shaken out and emptied. So he's saying, listen, I'm shaking my clothes out. If you don't do this, may God shake you out. In fact, I'm going to pray that God will shake you out if you don't do what you said. Whoa. He's very serious. We've got a real problem here in Jerusalem. We've got a crisis. The people are focused on who? At this, the whole assembly said, Amen. At least we got this far. Amen. And they praised the Lord, and the people did as they had said they promised. This is awesome right here. They did it. They, they, they gave it back. Now we can move in the right direction. They changed. They repented. They made things right. Okay? And that's also a great quality of leadership. What was Nehemiah's agenda? Set the people free and let them work their own land. Let's give people an opportunity to work. 
and get their lives together. That was Nehemiah's agenda. Okay, that's what he wanted to do. Verse 14. Now he shares a little bit more about himself. Moreover, now this is where he gets into the moral authority. Okay, he goes back and he shares. Guys, I want you to know something about me as a leader. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until this, until his 32nd year, 12 years he was governor, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. Here's how the system worked. If you're a governor of a particular area, where do you get the money to pay for your bills? from your constituents, the people that you lead. He said, you guys are in such bad shape, I'm not going to charge you anything. I'm going to take the money that King Artaxerxes has sent me to pay for my food, to pay for all of my expenses, and not just mine, all of my men. Why? Because you guys are hurting. I mean, what a great example. People are hurting, and he says, I'm not going to put any more burdens on you. He goes on, but early, earlier governors, those preceding ones, preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their, assist, their assistants also lorded it over the people. This is really, really important. Lorded it over the people. What kind of leadership are we talking about? A leadership that takes and doesn't think about the people. In fact, one of the things that Nehemiah talks about here is, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Why did Nehemiah do everything that he did? Now, let me ask you, here's where it comes home, because some of you are going, yeah, man, this country and our, our leaders, whoa, 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 whoa. Can I ask you a question? What's your agenda? Why do you do what you do? At work? At home? Are there any special interests in your life? See, and that's where, that's where it gets touchy. And that's why it's hard for us and, and this, is, this is huge here, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself, I focused on the work. I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work, and we did not acquire any land. Here's one of the things that happened. When you're a governor and you got all this money coming from the king, guess what you can do? You can buy land for a song, for pennies on the dollar. You can buy land, lots of land. You can amass for yourself a lot of wealth. See, for us, it'd be dollars. For them, it was land. You want to set up the next generation? Buy the land. So your kids and your grandkids and their great-great-grandkids can have a lot of money. And guess what Nehemiah did not do? He bought no land. He says, I'm not, I'm not going to exploit my position. Even though everybody else before me did, I'm not going to do that. What do you see here with Nehemiah? A great example of moral authority. If he were your mayor, 
governor, president, senator, congressman. Let me ask you a question. Would you respect him? If he were your dad, would you respect him? Absolutely. He'd be your, he'd be your role model for you. I respect that man. I want to be like that man. If he were your husband, would you respect that man? Absolutely. Because he does what he says. And you don't question his motivation. His motivation was, I want to build the wall and I want to help elevate this city. And I do it out of, all of this, I do it out of what? Reverence for God. I fear God. Can you trust somebody who fears God? Yeah, because they don't just have to answer to you. Guess who they have to answer to? And they know they have to answer to God. So they're not going to do any knuckleheaded things in their leadership. They're going to fear God, and they're going to do what's right. Nehemiah, what are you going to do? And this is something really cool about Nehemiah, very focused. I'm going to build the wall. Let me ask you a question. Nehemiah was about building the wall. What's, what's your thing? What are you doing? I'm going to build fill in the blank. My marriage, my family, teens, my future. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build my future. I'm going to build my school. I'm going to build my, 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 my student body. I'm going to build. I'm going to do something, and I'm going to leave it better than when I found it. My career, my job, I'm going to build it. I'm going to make it great. I'm going to honor God with what I do. My marriage, I'm going to build it. My family, I'm going to build it. I'm going to lay brick by brick, day by day, because I respect God. Hear these, you hear this phrase in, in, in our capital a lot, special interest groups. What, are, what is a special interest group? Special interest group is an organization, could be a company, could be, they have these people called lobbyists. And the lobbyist goes to the politician and says to the politician, hey, listen, you're going to get reelected pretty soon, and I know you need some campaign money. So my company, now we can't pay you directly, but my company, we can come around the back door and we can give you campaign donations to make sure you get elected. So the special interest is no longer special, is it? It's what? Who's the politician looking out for? Himself. And if he knows I want to get reelected, guess who I got to take care of? I got to take care of this guy, special interest group. And what about the people who elected you, who put you in that position? Now, I don't want to get too much into, you know, the whole thing, but this is how the system works. Now, before we get too heavy, what are your interests? Who are you in this for? Really? You know what's happened to our country? It's not about the good of our nation very much anymore. It's all about who. And we struggle with this. You know, it's not about the church anymore. It's about who? Me and what I want. I'm going to go to church 
or it's best for me. So really, you're, you're no different than the special interest. I'm going to work at a job because it's my special interest. It's my selfish interest. Think about this. And I think as we go through the letters to the president, we're going to have one, we're going to read one today. You know, I've got it right here. You know, what would it sound like? I think, but the same thing, I would ask you to do a real honest evaluation about your own leadership. Would you vote for you? I mean, could you actually go to your wife or your husband and say, would you vote for me? Not as your honey, sugar pie. No, no, no. Would you vote for me as the leader of this family? The secretary of this family, would you vote for me? Do I have your vote of confidence? Or would there be some hesitance because your actions and your beliefs don't line up? This is where we got to be honest, guys. You want to know why our country is deteriorating? Because we got interests. It's not God. It's not each other. It's not the next generation. It's who? Now, you and I have a special group. It's called our community group. And I believe our community groups are awesome. I'm so thankful for my community group. And I want to be accountable to my community group. I want them to tell me what they see about my leadership, not just in the group, but my leader as a husband, leader of my family. See, because a lot of times leaders can't see. And so that's why it's so important for us to help each other, to be accountable with each other and say, hey, what do you see I need to work on? Because if we really have an interest in making our country better, it's not about who's elected. It's about what am I going to do as an example in my community and what I do so that God willing, just like Nehemiah, he was one man. He was a servant, a cupbearer, and God elevated him to change a nation, to change a city. So I really want to encourage you to get with your community group and be consistent in meeting with them and ask these hard questions. So what do you see in me that I need to change? So we're going to read the letter, and then we're going to take communion, and then i got some more things to share with you because I believe we are at a pivotal place right now as a church, as a people. So let me, let me read for you. It's going to be on the screen. It's going to scroll down. The, the letter for part two that it has to do with moral authority. You ready? Dear Mr. or Mrs. President, I'll just read it because it's not, it's not scrolling for some reason. One of the many things we do not envy about your job is the public fascination with your approval rating. For the next four years, you will be reminded on a daily basis of whether or not the citizens, the citizens of this country approve of your performance. Our hope is that you will set your sights on something far greater than the consequences of our approval. We want you to lead in such a way as to gain and maintain our respect. For that to happen, there must be a consistency between what you say and what you do. 
This alignment will provide you with a moral authority necessary to lead and influence those who select who, those who selected your name in the November election, as well as those who did not. Conduct your public life in a way that positions you to confront without reservation those who abuse their power and influence. Conduct your private life in such a way that you can speak with authority to husbands and fathers about their responsibilities at home. Lead the way in person. Lead in personal generosity. Be the first president, hear this, be the first president of our generation to give away 20% of your annual income. And do it publicly so as to remove any doubt from either party that you are a man or a woman who truly cares about the less fortunate in our nation and our world. Our country is deeply divided over the economy, health care, and national security. A significant portion of the population will not share in your beliefs about how these issues that should be addressed. There is nothing you can do about that. But please, don't do anything that would lead us to wander to wonder if you really believe what you have said and your belief is what it is about those issues. The late journalist Lewis Fisher wrote, history is always the chronicle of divorces between creed and deed. We pray that we pray that will not be the case with your administration. Our hope is that you will be a president whose actions reflect the promises that you've made and the values you claim to embody. And if that's the case, you will have something far more valuable than our approval. You will have our respect. Sincerely yours, concerned citizens of the United States. So, let me ask you a question. We're writing a letter to the president but what would your family put in a letter to you? What would your wife, your husband, put in a letter to you? And if you're in any position of leadership, what people really want is they want to respect you. Respect is everything. See, because you can lead when people respect you. But when they don't respect you, what do they do? They push back. You don't have to be perfect. But you have to be honest. Who modeled this for us? And then we're going to take the communion. Jesus did. Mark chapter 10, verse 42. He was telling his disciples about leadership. He says, did you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them? They're oppressive. They're authoritative. They lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your what? Say it with me. Servant. And whoever wants to be first or a leader must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to, serve, to be served, but to serve and to do what? Give his life as a ransom for you and I. Jesus modeled for us moral authority. He never asked us to do anything that he didn't do tenfold. 
for us. So you and I can be more inspired, not about who's president, but who's our Lord and Savior. And as we take the communion, I want you to be inspired that you follow a leader that was blameless, that was perfect. And if you set your eyes on Jesus and say, I want to follow you, Jesus, what can our country look like? What can your school look like? What can your family look like? And that's what it's all about. And I believe the church plays a critical role right now in our society. We're in an important position, and it's not who gets elected in November. It's about what are you and I going to do in our communities? You know, what are we going to do? How can we leverage our example? And people notice. They may not agree with you and your Christian faith, but they will respect you because you walk the walk and you live what you believe. Let's pray for the communion, and then we'll have some closing thoughts. Heavenly Father, we thank you now for Jesus, and we want to lift up Jesus. We want to lift up, God, his example to us. God, thank you that he did it out of love for us. God, that he still cares about us. He still believes in us. Father, the truth is, is that many of us, me included, have not been the best example. And there are areas that we need to change. There's areas that we need to grow in. And I ask you, God, to please forgive us, help us. And Father, help us to, 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 to know that you're with us and you're for us. And God, help us to have the, the integrity, the strength to stand up. Even though people don't agree with us, that we'll hold fast to you and we'll do it out of reverence for you. Right now, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he was willing to die for us. Father, please bless this communion that we're about to take the bread and the, and the grape juice, God, as a remembrance of internalizing Jesus into our lives. Be with us and bless this communion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.